So what kind of properties do you guys lend on? What makes you stand out amongst other lenders? What regions are you focused on? What's the weirdest loan you have to process? What are you seeing in the market? What are your preferred loan parameters? Tell us about your underwriting process. How did you get into the lending space? This is BIPS, your peek into the lender landscape, where we get into the minds of leading commercial real estate lenders to understand their perspective of the market, what they lend on, and how to get deals done. I'm Kimberly Zarbler and your host, and this is my co-host, my older and wiser brother, Yaku Zar. Wait, wait, were you being sarcastic? We're here today with Daniel Nadri. Daniel is the co-founder, co-owner, and managing member of Hakimian Capital a direct private real estate lender in the New York metro area. Since the launch in 2018, Daniel helped Akeemian originate over $100 million in bridge loans. Daniel oversees all aspects of the business, including loan originations, loan servicing, balance sheet management, investor relations, and property management of real estate owned by Hakimian. Daniel helped Hakimian Capital recently close a multifamily bridge loan in West Harlem, a condo inventory loan for $6.5 million in Brooklyn, and a $5 million development site on Clinton Avenue in Brooklyn. Daniel, thanks so much for being here with us today, virtually amidst this craziness. We hope you and your family are healthy. Before we jump into the current state of the market, how has it been for you guys from an operations standpoint? And personally, how has it been for you? Well, I'd say personally, the coronavirus has actually impacted, I'm sure, everyone in some way, shape, or form in a negative way. I actually had my wedding planned in March, and by the end of March, and we obviously had to postpone that. And right now, we don't know when we're going to be able to have it. But hopefully, at some point, we'll be able to have that. Besides that, we're all stuck in our house. I'm currently working from home in Long Island. And it's tough. I mean, it's a little bit of a different environment working from home. But we're getting things done. We, In our business, it's pretty easy to work remotely. I mean, all I really need is my laptop and my cell phone. Um, so operationally, things have been easier from the business standpoint. And as a private lender, we've actually begin, begin to see a lot of deal flow for various reasons. Obviously, we don't know where we're going to be three months or six months from now or even a year out from now with a lot of commercial tenants. Obviously, hospitality and retail have gotten a lot harder than other aspects, but most conventional banks, regulated banks have really pulled back and halted lending just to see where they're at in terms of liquidity and their current portfolio. It sounds like you guys are still pretty active lending. Can you tell us a little bit more, Daniel, of how you guys are unique in both your funding sources and why you guys are still you know, really active and really competitive and also how that affects the types of deals that you guys generally look at? Honestly, our answer that we always give is very much relevant right now because of what's going on. It's mostly our source of capital. Our capital is all from Michael and Sammy's family money, and we, we have a few close friends and family who invest with us. We don't rely on any outside credit lines or large institutional funds, which gives us a, a large leg up over our competitors and in the sense that we can move quickly, and we are the decision makers. Um, when people come to us with a deal, it's me, Michael, and Sammy who are making the decisions, and it's our capital. So we don't really have to go to anyone else. We don't have a real credit box that we have to meet. So that gives us a large leg up, especially with what's going on right now. A lot of our competitors are kind of on pause because they have their source of capital is from a credit line and that's on pause at the moment. So it really helps us overall in normal times, especially right now. So I think it's going to be interesting going forward, what kind of opportunities we're going to be able to see and take advantage of. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. So let's put aside you know, the past few weeks 
or let's talk about both, right? Like in a typical situation, what does your loan process look like today, given the market? What does it look like? Walk us through from beginning to end when you when someone brings you a deal to closing. Walk us through those steps and timelines. So generally, people ask us what our loan parameters. I really don't like to give a defined parameter or a credit box because we don't really have one. Uh, generally, you know, if you ask me, do we lend on a nursing home facility? My first thought would be no, but we have nursing home facility loans in the past, and in certain scenarios, it makes sense. And I think going forward, it, if you look at every asset class, you're going to look at it differently. I, I mean, I really like multifamily going forward. I still think there's a shortage, not only in the New York market, but throughout the nation, there's a shortage of affordable housing. So I think that's going to maintain some sort of stability. Obviously, if you look at different sectors like hospitality and retail, you don't see the so- same story playing out there. But even in a downturn, there's opportunities for sponsors, lenders. There's going to be plenty of opportunities that come out. There's fresh capital that's going to be poured into multifamily. You know, I saw something the other day that said there's the largest amount of dry powder sitting on the sidelines in private equity funds for both equity and debt. So if you see some sort of a pullback in real yeah, estate, yeah, everyone's been making money for ten years, right? It's just right. like it's the first slowdown, and everyone's you know saving all their cash for so long. Exactly. So there's a lot of money on the sidelines, ready to pounce on any opportunity. So I think you know you saw it in the stock market. I mean, I'm not really that involved in the stock market, but there's quite a pullback in the stock market, and you saw it bounce right back up. Mostly, I'd say because of what the Fed did, and you could think of it sort of similarly in in the real estate market. I mean you don't have the same type of liquidity. So it really takes much longer. But if you don't see that much pressure placed on sponsors, I think the lower leveraged real estate operators are going going to be able to come out of this in the next one to two years with a lot more opportunities. That's interesting. Daniel, can you tell us a little bit about how the rent regulation laws have affected your business? So yes, the rent stabilization laws of 2019 actually uh, affected us, I'd say both positively and negatively. From the negative aspect, our, our existing portfolio, we had a couple of uh, loans on rent-stabilized assets, which were negatively impacted to a certain extent. I think we're still fine because of the leverage levels we were in at on those loans. But on the other end, going forward, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities where you had sponsors who were over-leveraged and they had business plans where they were going to go in and purchase these rent-stabilized buildings and, and vacate them. And that's not going to work out the same way as they hoped. And with that, you're going to have opportunities for other st- sponsors to step in at a good basis, whether it's because they have to sell uh, because their loan's coming up for maturity or they just they have a 1031. There's many different reasons, but there's going to be opportunities that come out of it. So I'd say it's a negative on our existing portfolio, but there's going to be positive opportunities that come out of it in the coming years. As long as you're in at the right basis, that's what it comes down to, I guess. Got it. And I know you're focused specifically in New York City. Why is such a heavy focus in New York City? That's a good question. And we always get asked that. And given what's happened in New York over the past 12 months, more and more, I I find myself thinking, should should we start lending outside of New York? And we do to a certain extent, but mostly I would say Jersey City and other parts of Pennsylvania that are much closer in the Northeast region. But we like to lend in areas we're very familiar with, and it kind of gives us an edge as well over other lenders. Most people come to us, and if they come to us with an opportunity in New York, say in Brooklyn or Queens, we're very familiar with the market. We don't need to rely on third-party appraisers to tell us what the property's worth. If there are issues regarding violations or city code, we're very familiar with every aspect of commercial real estate sector in New York. So that gives us an opportunity to move very quickly and 
generally you have sponsors that come to us and they they want to move quickly. And if we provide an LOI and then we start doing our, our underwriting after the fact, you're wasting everybody's time. And I think it's a disservice to both sides. So we don't like to waste our own time. We don't like to waste our borrower's time. So we like to stick to what we know. And New York is an area we're very comfortable and familiar with. Obviously, it's a little difficult right now, but I think there will still be opportunities going forward. So Daniel, you opened Hakimi in 2018. You're now a co-owner. What moved you to start it? Why did you think it was so important? So before we launched Hakimi and Capital uh, in 2018, actually, I used to work at a different firm, a direct private bridge lender in New York as well. And I was there for quite a while. I gained some experience. I made a lot of great connections. And I realized there was a huge demand for this space. I mean, 10 years ago, you mentioned the term bridge loan, and most people wouldn't really know what you're talking about. I mean, now it's much more institutionalized, so you hear about it more, and it's a larger part of the market. But not too long ago, it wasn't it wasn't such a large part of the market, and there was a lot of opportunity. So in 2018, my friends Michael, who I, who I grew up with, and Yaakov, you know, is very well as well, and his cousin Sammy, we partnered up to large this fund. And meet that demand. Obviously, right now you're seeing a lot of alternative debt funds popping up left and right. But I feel like we, we're sticking to our need. Like you asked before, why we're sticking to New York. I, I feel like there's opportunities to stick to what you know. And we also operate differently structurally. We operate on in-house capital. It's all our own capital. Oh, so I've been reading Behind the Cloud. It's about the CEO of Salesforce. And one of the things that he's mentioning is how a good strategy to feel comfortable and succeed in your business is to hire friends and people that you know. So he went and hired his previous colleagues from Oracle. And I know Yaakov hired a, a lot of his contacts for Lev. So what is it like working with close contacts? I mean, there's a lot of positives that you can imagine working with a friends, especially when it comes to a partnership. There's a lot of trust that goes into a partnership. So growing up with Michael and knowing him very well and Sammy as well, it, was, it made the decision for me a lot easier. So Daniel, I know I always hear these different stories from brokers and lenders about how they've gone to site visits or they had interesting and weird loans that they had to process. Do you have any interesting stories? We actually see a lot of funny opportunities that come by us and, and most of the weird scenarios that happen are on site visits that we make. Funny enough, late last year, there was a specific deal that came through a broker where the guy was looking for a loan to refinance some existing debt and he had to pay off a family dispute. And once we started doing our underwriting and looking into it further, we, the guy was a mob informant who left witness protection and he ended up befriending this landlord. It was, a, it was an elderly Asian woman who owned this large portfolio of Westside multifamily buildings. And she herself inherited it from her husband. So she didn't. Re she wasn't really a real estate operator. She didn't know what she was doing. But this guy left witness protection. He moved to New York without his family. And he needed an apartment. And he just came by one of her buildings and rented an apartment from her. And little by little, he started befriending her. And he was kind of a handyman. So he started helping her, you know, sort of manage the buildings here and there. If there were leaks or something that needed to be fixed, he would do it. And soon enough, he became the super for all of her buildings. And... I think over the course of the decade, at one point she passed away and her will came out and it showed that he was the 90% beneficiary of the will. And there's a long article about this whole thing online. You could read about it more, but I guess the owner had some family overseas and they found out they got wind that he was the 90% beneficiary and they've never even heard of this guy. So they brought a dispute and a lawsuit against him, obviously, because there's a lot of money at play and they don't understand why this guy got 90% of the entire will. 
So there was a lot of back and forth and little did we know it wasn't actually, our loan wasn't actually going to go towards refinancing existing debt. It was going to fully pay off this family that, you know, they were saying he sort of ripped off. He kind of, it was an elderly woman. She didn't know what she was doing and she signed her will away to him. But he said he had two witnesses. And if you look into case law regarding wills, so you could say that what he did wasn't illegal. I mean, he technically owns the building. So it was a very, very odd scenario. Nonetheless, I mean, we see these opportunities. We see these scenarios. Did you lend on it? That's the question. We didn't end up lending on it. Not for the fact that he was a mob informant. We honestly got past <laughs> it. And it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was funny because when we were That's when we were booking amazing. the site visit with the broker, my partner Sammy was a little scared to come on the site visit. We didn't know what this guy what was you're getting into. Yeah, yeah, we didn't know what we were getting into, and we showed up, and the guy was the nicest guy. We were we were cracking jokes the entire time. We walked through his buildings. Wow. Uh, it was a very interesting thing, and it, you know, again, actually, it's funny. The rent stabilized laws actually hurt this guy tremendously. Most of these units were rent stabilized before the laws. I'd say his buildings were worth north of a hundred million dollars. And as we were looking at this towards the end of 2019, it was probably worth half of that, maybe fifty or sixty million. So. Just from an underwriting perspective, we couldn't get comfortable with it, but wow. it was, it's a massive it blow from a, I mean, that's a pretty right. significant blow. It sounds like his buildings were more affected than other buildings from the laws, no? Yes. I mean, I guess it comes down to the percentage of units that are rent stabilized. Some people own right. buildings that are you know, 20% rent stabilized and some of them are 80%. So most of his units were rent regulated. So he got hit hard and when I spoke to him, he had attorneys that were already working on lawsuits and they were part of class actions and, and trying to make some large movements because of how heavily he was affected. But wow. I don't know what ended up happening. I have to check in on that. <laughs> well, wow. that's a hilarious story. Daniel, there's a lot going on you know, across every industry related to technology and looking at the future. And now in a situation like this, there's so much around like being remote and working from home and how the workforce is going to evolve with that. How do you see all of these factors and other factors playing into the future of alternative lending as it relates to real estate and your business specifically? Uh, So our business specifically, I mean, there's not that much technology involved from a lender's perspective. I would assume from a brokerage perspective, there might be more so technology involved. But I think most people that are working from home right now due to the virus are going to see that it's not that difficult to work from home to do the same things you're doing from home in the office. So you'll see a lot of larger firms decreasing their footprint. But going forward from an alternative lending standpoint, from our business, I think you're going to see just like, I mean, it depends on how bad this gets. It's a little too early to tell. But if this is the beginning of a larger recession, I think you'll see what the same thing that happened in the Great Recession of 2008. There were a lot of funds who were over leveraged and they didn't exist in 2010. And then you'll see the people who weren't as leveraged and they were more disciplined investors. And this goes for sponsors as well and real estate investors. The more, the higher leveraged real estate developers and owners and operators might not make it through this. Uh, and the ones who, who weren't as highly leveraged will make it through and they'll come out even bigger and better. Just in my field, a lot of the lenders you see in the space right now didn't exist pre-recession. Most of them came in after the fact. But the ones that did exist became much larger because they were ahead of the curve. They made it through. They weren't as leveraged. They weren't as highly levered during the recession, and they came out on the other side much bigger, stronger, and better. So I think we're going to have an advantage ourselves as well because we don't have any leverage whatsoever. And we're sort of sitting patient, waiting and seeing what's going to happen, and we'll be able to take advantage of opportunities that come by our desk. 
in the next 12 to 24 months. So I think it behooves a lot of people to be a little patient right now and, and sort of wait and see what happens. But there's always opportunities in bull markets and bear markets. But um, Daniel, what are you doing quarantine? How are you? Uh, so I actually, I don't know how long this is going to last. And I generally try to stay as active as possible. So I kind of made this small little makeshift gym in the corner of my house. And I try and exercise you know, once a day. And when the weather's good, I try and get out. But for the most part, we're just sitting in our house. So me and my fiance, Lauren, have been watching a lot of Netflix. Um, I started watching Narcos. I know I'm a little late, but I watched the entire series of Narcos and the new series of Fauda came out. I binged watched that in th- no more than three days. And it was great. So That's awesome. I kind of liked it. A little I'm anticlimactic. Like, a little anticlimactic at the end, though. Yeah. Daniel, if someone wants to get in touch with you on a deal, whether it's a broker or a sponsor directly, what's the best way to do that? My email would probably be best. My email is daniel at hakimiancapital.com. Awesome. Awesome. We will list all of your information. Daniel, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thanks for looking on your wedding Stay happening healthy. soon, Daniel. Good luck. Looking forward. Take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you learned something new. Tune in next week when we speak to another lender in the industry. Until then, take care. This was Bips, your peek into the lender landscape. As Jay-Z says, you don't have to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. Kim, everyone's already home. <laughs>